Hey guys, Luke Mahalik here. Welcome to the DFD or Dairy Farming Discussions podcast. Here, we want to discuss all things dairy farming. This podcast is about getting information out that is going to help your dairy operations succeed. Our goal is to bring you timely information on beneficial topics. We plan to bring in some of the top names from the industry to share on the topics they have studied and more importantly, are passionate about sharing with you, the listeners. I hope everyone enjoys this week's episode and thanks for listening. Hey everybody, welcome back to the DFD podcast. I'm your host, uh, Keith Schweitzer, and I'm very happy to be joined today uh, by Steph Towers, who uh, with her husband, uh, own and operate uh, Max Villa Farms in the lovely suburbs of Appen, Ontario. Um, so I thought this would be a great uh, time to maybe talk uh, to a producer like Steph, uh, who has decided to kind of diversify their business a little bit. Uh, I'll let Steph maybe talk a little bit more to that, but I know it's been hard to expand uh, quota holdings and things like that. So farmers are always looking at new and innovative ways to kind of increase their cash flow to kind of meet their goals. Um, we hear about it a lot on farm where the cost of operating keep going up and the milk price doesn't necessarily follow. So things get tighter and producers, especially young producers like uh, the Towers is here are, are really looking for ways to improve their business. So Steph, maybe you want to talk a little bit about what's going on at Max Villa Farms, maybe a brief overview of, you know, just the operation and uh, let's go from there. Sure. So as he said, we farm in the suburbs of the metropolis of Appen, the greater Appen area, if you will. Um, right now we're milking about 120 cows, cropping about 1200 acres. Um, we also are custom raising heifers for another producer and we have a bit of a finishing lot for our beef cattle as well. Um, our steers, our Holstein steers. So we ended up getting into custom raising heifers for another producer. We built a new calf barn in 2016, and it was kind of the most expensive and also the most underutilized um, capital investment that we had on our on our property. So we were looking at ways to better use that investment to generate a bit of additional income without necessarily increasing our total workload um, or having to do additional capital investment. So, yeah. Let's talk maybe a little bit more, uh, just kind of the decisions on, on why you decided to do that. You know, I know outside you said you had the underutilized uh, facilities, but maybe talk about some future goals and things that you had and, and maybe some of the background and legwork that you put in to, uh, to come to this decision. For sure. So when we first came home, um, we definitely had calf rearing as one of our weak points in the operation. Our calf facilities were quite outdated. They were being raised upstairs in the hayloft of the old bank barn. So it wasn't an ideal situation by any stretch. Um, working with our veterinary support system, as well as the herd I was working for at the time, Stanton Farms, we were able to make some changes and utilize our existing facility to make some improvements in the health. And we changed our vaccination protocols and generally put in some, some legwork into making sure that we could improve our management on the calf side. With that, we were able to build the new barn in 2016. So we built it to be an all-in, all-out system, robotic-fed group hens. Um, and utilizing kind of the support of our veterinary team and our nutritionists, we were able to create a, a solid calf program. Um, and definitely one of the strengths that we have on the operation now is raising young stock. So we were originally raising our bull calves in with our heifer calves for veal or beef, depending on the time of year. 
but the markets are really unpredictable. So we were kind of looking at whether or not it was worthwhile to keep those bull calves. And one of the things that we learned from raising animals in group housing is that for our facilities, if we changed the program so that the bull calves were on less uh, milk than the heifers or on a different program, that we saw health start to suffer. So we were, we had a very expensive program for rearing uh, veal calves and beef calves. So it wasn't maybe the best use of our capital investments. So we were looking at different ways that we could utilize the strengths in our existing operation and also the capital that we had spent into putting in this new calf barn. Um, as I mentioned, it's an all in all out system. So it's actually two separate rooms that are divided in the center by a center room and there's separate ventilation. Um, so each side has its own ventilation system. It's positive pressure tubes along with um, another ventilation system. So the idea was that if we ever had a disease outbreak and provoked biosecurity, we could shut down one side and then restart the other side. So with all of the kind of work that we have put into our calf program and our heifer program, we were wondering if there were other opportunities to utilize that experience and kind of that strength to provide another avenue of income for, for the dairy and still cater to what we're good at. Yeah. And so I know this is what probably just over or not quite a year ago, you guys started doing this. Yeah. Not quite a year. Yeah. And so what are some of the biggest challenges that you faced uh, taking in another herd's uh, young stock? So maybe we should preface this though and, and let people know, like you're not just raising bred heifers, like you're taking uh, week old calves right yeah. from the beginning, right up until, well, you don't have any come through the system yet. That would be, you know, that 18 months, but they should be, you know, safe in calf, you know, six, five, six months pregnant when they go back to the, to their, uh, to their owners. Yeah, so they're actually taking them back a little bit before that, since they have the facilities um, to, okay. to have. So they're going back, uh, I think the agreement is between 60 and 90 days in calf. Um, but what happens is once a week, usually they drop calves off that are between five and seven days old. Some are a little bit older. Uh, we don't generally take them younger than that. They get dropped off, they come in straight in, they commingle with our existing um, herd into the pens with our calves. Uh, I blood test them right away for passive transfer. We take a temperature on them and then do a physical to check kind of navel, gum color, hydration, all of that. Um, the biggest challenges that we've had, we are fortunate to work with other producers who are quite like-minded and are good producers. So six months prior to taking calves, we made sure that our vaccination programs were in sync so that the calves coming in had the same uh, colostrum um, nutrient level, so the same vaccinations through exposure. Um, and then we also ensured that we had a good agreement on, on what constituted a healthy calf versus a sick calf, that kind of stuff. Um, the biggest challenge that we have, I would say, is that transport can be hard on them when they're that that young. So occasionally, you know, when they get here, they maybe don't look as good as they did when they left. Um, they're quite young to be, be traveling. But we found that some electrolytes kind of take care, take care of that program, or that problem rather. But the biggest thing for, for us is to be able to have a communication and a good working relationship with the other herd that we're raising for. And it, that's worked out really well. So, yeah. And, and maybe what are some of the, the bonuses that you found so far when, uh, when taking on this endeavor? Um, definitely, it's been able to spread our cost out uh, 
across more animals, obviously, that's, that's one of the things. Um, we found our CAF program has actually tightened up quite a bit because now we're responsible to somebody else and for someone else's animals. So things that maybe we would let slide during cropping, you know, during planting or, or harvest, you tend to let things slide. We don't do that because we're accountable to somebody else. We have somebody else's animals on farm. So I would say that our calves have definitely benefited from um, the fact that we are accountable to someone other than ourselves. So we need to make sure we don't let things slip. Um, we've been able to take on a student to help out as well. So that's been, that's been kind of neat. And it just keeps me on top of the day-to-day -day stuff. So I wasn't necessarily testing, blood testing for passive transfer on all of ours. I would do a handful here and a handful there. But because I'm in collecting blood from other calves anyways, ours are getting done on a more regular basis. Same with weighing calves in, weighing calves out. Um, that's something that, that's part of our agreement. So now our calves are getting done as well. So I think overall, it's been a benefit to our farm just reinforcing some of those management things that can kind of you can get complacent on when it's just your animals if we want to go back to the herd health uh stuff i know you said you had your vaccination protocols and that in sync like was that a was that a tough decision to make or to get the other producer to buy in or was that pretty uh pretty easy um it was a pretty easy buy-in like i said uh, the other farm that we're we're in partnership with is pretty agreeable um and very forward-thinking managers as well so that would be a make or break deal for me. I, you know, there are disadvantages and there are risks in opening your herd up to taking in someone else's animals. So for me, that was a non-negotiable. They had to be on the same vaccination programs and we had to make sure that we were making the herd as, as similar as possible just to reduce the risk overall to both herds, not just ours, but you know, their back hauling as well and what they're bringing back into their farms. So from a biosecurity point of view, um, and just a management point of view, it was really important to me to work out those details uh, to make sure that we're reducing risk on both sides. Yeah, and I know there's some other kind of little things that happen, like you guys decided to get dairy comp and things like that, just to kind of help with data transfer and, and record recording and, and making sure that everything uh, with uh, CQM is up to date and, and everything like that. So uh, looking back, you know, almost being a year into it, what, when did you take your first calves? Like January last year, I think? We took them January 3rd last year was our first shipment. Yeah. So looking back um, through this whole process, um, maybe what are, can you talk about some of the, the things that you really enjoy about it and maybe some of the, uh, the things that uh, you would change looking back? Yeah. So I really enjoy overall. It's, it's interesting to see the difference in genetics and breeding programs. It's pretty evident which calves are ours and which calves belong to the other farm. Not that either one is right or wrong, but they're very different calves. So that's been really interesting to see. Um, and just that, that ability to have a partnership with another farm and to kind of look at different ways to do things. So I've really enjoyed that. I've enjoyed the ability to kind of spread costs out over more animals to allow us to be more progressive more quickly. So like you mentioned, Keith, we got dairy comp in order to, the biggest reason we got dairy comp was to facilitate animal transfer back and forth between farms and to take care of the CQM component of it. But also what that allowed us to do was manage our own herd a little bit better. We've definitely seen the impacts of that and we've only had it since May. So we found that it makes a huge difference for us on managing the repro side of our herd. It's made it a lot easier. The other thing that we invested in uh, just prior to this contract in anticipation of receiving someone else's heifers was heat detection collars um, in our breeding heifers, which also we've seen major benefits from. Um, I, I really enjoy having that kind of daily interaction with the calves and seeing them come up through the system. It's really, really interesting to see. 
Um, and yeah, so overall it's, it's pretty positive. We enjoy most things about it. Um, shipping day isn't my favorite day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when they arrive, there are a lot of work for about the first five days uh, while they get used to the robot. Um, the firm they come from, obviously they're, they're fed by hand. So they see people, they think milk. So especially when we get five or six in a shipment, um, the processing part is awesome. I love that part of it. It's really science driven and data driven, which is great. But the being swarmed every mealtime is uh, gets old real quick. <laughs> so it's great when he only drops off one or two, but when there's five or six in a load, I uh, it's not my favorite thing. So what we have learned is that typically I'll take the two uh, weakest calves or youngest calves and I'll put them in individual pens for a couple of days and hand feed them until the other four or five get going on the robot. Um, and then and then transition them in because otherwise it is uh, mildly frustrating and you end up with bruises everywhere as you get swarmed <laughs> the time you go in the pen. So definitely that was a learning curve to not try and put them all on the robot the same day. I still once in a while when I'm short of uh, individual pen space or time, I try and put them all on right away and it is never a good decision. So I know that you guys have some... Um lofty goals. I, I have to preface this by saying I've had the pleasure of working with the Towers family for the last, I don't know, seven and a half or eight years. Um, and I've seen a lot of changes on the farm since I started there. And I know Steph's a, and Cameron are big drivers of that. Um, so what is some of the future things that hold, like when you make a decision like this, there's obviously an end game or, or a next step that you're planning on making. So, so what is that? So the next step for us is kind of taking better use, utilizing our capital in order to move forward our end goals. So we actually are hoping to put in robots next year in 2021. Uh, currently we're looking in a rotary parlor that's about 16 years old and it's definitely showing its age. So we're looking to go to robotic milking. Um, we retrofitted one of our old barns on another farm to take our pregnant heifers to facilitate a little bit more room for our breeding stock. Um, and then our next step is to put an addition on our existing facility to accommodate our dry cows and build some calving pens. Right now we calve in the same pen as our dry cows. It's less than ideal, but we kind of make it work. We're using the existing infrastructure we have. So we're really hoping to be able to um, get that addition done, get calving pens up and, and running so that we can continue to move forward. Um, definitely in today's market, it's a little bit harder to justify building new when you do have facilities that will work with a little bit of investment and a little bit of work. Um, so we're trying our best to, to make sure that we're, we're utilizing the existing capital and infrastructure that we have and being able to move forward so that we can continue to grow and continue, continue to explore other avenues. So we're actually going back to raising our veal and beef um, while we were getting up and going with our custom heifer raising. Uh, we started selling to uh, private privately. So we're actually going to now keep um, continue to keep our bull calves now that we have a bit better handle on on the custom heifer raising, uh, but they won't be on the robot. So we're going back to doing some hutch work as well with those guys so that they can continue to be on whole milk, but they're not going to interrupt our program with the heifers on, on the robots. So we're always looking at different ways to diversify and different things that we can do to add more income um, and be able to uh, move forward on the things we want to do in maybe a more timely fashion than, than just, just waiting for quota growth. 
Yeah, and I know, and that was kind of the the idea behind this podcast. Now, this is probably going to be the first in, in several that we're going to talk about uh, business diversification because I do feel it's really important. Um, so, Steph, I just I really want to thank you for coming on here and sharing a little bit of uh, what you guys are doing in Max at uh, Max Villa Farms, and and just so people know um, how big Maxville is, uh, I think there's about. 18 people and 700 critters running around uh running around the four corners of maxville so anyways yeah. thanks steph <laughs> super no problem keith anytime hey guys thanks for tuning in this week we really are trying to keep this podcast product and ad free however if you have any questions about what you've been hearing we strongly recommend reaching out to your nearest SureGain dealership we have reps across Ontario, Canada, and the USA that would love to come to your farm and offer solutions to those problems that have been keeping you from achieving your goals. Please feel free to share this podcast with anyone that you think might benefit from this information or on your social media platform of choice. I also encourage you to tune into Keith Schweitzer's YouTube channel. We'll be releasing podcast episodes every other Thursday, and Keith will be releasing YouTube videos on the opposite weeks. We appreciate your support and I look forward to sharing with you real soon.